Online, welcome to Catholic View. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. I'm Sheila Pires. Coming up in today's feature, we'll be talking about the World Press Freedom Day, observed annually on the 3rd of May. Well, do stay with me as coming up first, we bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic world and in Africa today. This is Archbishop Buti Tlachale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope at general audience recalls trip to Egypt and the importance of peace. Tributes keep pouring in for the late auxiliary bishop of Durban. And May 3rd marks World Press Freedom Day. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. Tributes continue to pour in for the late auxiliary bishop of Durban. 74-year-old Bishop Barry Wood passed away at the early hours of Tuesday, May 2nd. Speaking to Father Emil this morning, Father Joseph Faulkner O.P. from Emma Pitulwini Priory said Bishop Barry Wood was a very simple man who often sacrificed himself for the good of others. Barry was someone that you could just phone up and speak to or go and visit. Very simple uh, often uh, he, he could dress up as a bishop when necessary, but often very casually dressed yeah, yes. and uh, freely available to people. And he went round. You know, the cardinal, who was the the archbishop of uh, Durban, was very often in Rome attending meetings. And in fact, it was Bishop Barry who was running the diocese to a large extent, mm. going round doing confirmations, dealing with the day-to-day matters. You know, I put on my Facebook page uh, that we regretted his death. And you know that more than 20 people over the world spotted it on my Facebook page and have immediately replied. One of them uh, was a seminarian together with him. The man who now lives in England. You know, he he died now just before his 75th birthday. He would have retired when he turned 75. Bishops do retire at the age of 75. And uh, it's it's rather sad in a way that he couldn't retire. (laughs) He was a man who sacrificed himself. You know, he used to move around a lot. Mm. And his legs got very, very bad. Mm. Caused him great pain. And that didn't stop him from moving around... Mm attending functions, uh, sometimes walking with a stick. But he, it, 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 it must have caused him a lot of trouble, mm. but he went on doing it. Mm. And that was Father Joseph Faulkner O.P. from Emma Petulwini Priory speaking about the late auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Durban. 
At this morning's general audience, Pope Francis reflected on his trip to Egypt. He thanked all those involved and spoke about the importance of peace. Recalling his meetings with different Christian denominations and other civilian leaders, he explained that peace is the fruit of an education to wisdom that respects the religious dimension of our existence. After witnessing the beauty of the church in Egypt, Pope Francis encouraged Egyptians to continue to persevere in the gospel. He also reminded all Christians that peace is a civil order in which all have a part to play. Dear brothers and sisters, my recent apostolic journey to Egypt took place at the invitation of the President of the Republic, the Coptic Orthodox Patriarch, the Grand Iman of Al-Azhar, and the Coptic Catholic Patriarch. I thank all those who helped in its planning and organization. My meeting with the Grand Imam and my message to the International Conference for Peace recall that peace is the fruit of an education to wisdom and a humanism that respects the religious dimension of our existence. Our covenant with God, grounded in the commandment of love of God and neighbor, inspires our efforts to build a just and peaceful civil order in which all have a part to play. Egypt's great cultural and religious heritage gives the nation a special role in this work of peacemaking. In my meeting with the Coptic Orthodox Patriarch, Pope Tawadris II, he reaffirmed, we reaffirmed our mutual commitment to unity and prayed together for the victims of the recent attacks. At Mass with the Catholic community, and in my meeting with the priests, religious, and seminarians, I saw the beauty of the Church in Egypt, and I encouraged everyone to persevere in the hope of the Gospel. May the Holy Family, who once found refuge in Egypt, bless and protect its people with prosperity, fraternity, and peace. The Catholic bishops of Kenya are urging politicians to promote a culture of non-violence during and after the elections slated for August this year. The bishops also called on Kenyans to choose leaders who are God-fearing, morally upright, committed to promoting human rights and solidarity. The bishops' call came at the end of their plenary assembly on Friday. That same day, there were reports that ballot stuffing, multiple voting and violence had marred party primaries to pick candidates for the upcoming elections. The bishops noted with concern the unfolding political crisis. Here is Bishop Philip Agnolo, the chairman of the Kenya Conference of Catholic Bishops. The fear of widespread violence erupting cannot be ignored. We are already witnessing that communities are beginning to be suspicious of one another. We pray that the chaotic manner in which these nominations have been conducted with, uh, will not be a mirror of what will happen in the general elections. In more African news, according to the UN Children's Agency, UNICEF, the triple threat of drought, disease and displacement is taking a terrible toll on children in Somalia. The number of malnourished children in Somalia has risen by 50% since the beginning of the year to 1.4 million. Susanna Price is the Chief of Communications for UNICEF Somalia based in Nairobi. The drought has spread 
throughout the country, and it's having a devastating effect on the whole population. But of course, in these kinds of situations, it's the children who begin to suffer the most. So what we're seeing is children who are severely malnourished, who are suffering from life-threatening levels of malnutrition. They're becoming very sick as well. We have a, a widespread of acute watery diarrhea, uh, cholera. We've had measles breaking out. We've got a lot of other sicknesses and ill health. And this is really all compounded to make a terrible situation for children. So we're doing all we can in terms of providing clean water, providing vaccinations, providing health posts, doing all we can to try and contain this situation uh, and make sure it doesn't get any worse. Have you been to the field and seen the situation? I've been out in the field several times and really the situation is very desperate. Uh, I went down to Baidoa, which is the area that was the epicenter of the 2011 famine. I went into the cholera treatment center and saw young babies and young children brought in suffering from terrible vomiting, diarrhea, and looking extremely weak. I mean, the good news on the uh, acute watery diarrhea cholera is that it is very treatable, and you saw people making a very quick recovery once the intravenous drips had had been put into people's arms, they'd been rehydrated. Um, I've also talked to families of children who are severely malnourished. Often it's not uh, malnutrition because they're starving per se, it's because the children are weak from malnutrition, but then are catching these these other diseases and illnesses. Uh, And once they're determined to be severely malnourished, they're given this supply of the um, therapeutic peanut paste, and they make a dramatic recovery as well. And no doubt this situation is having an effect on children's ability to go to school. Absolutely. You have families They're on the move, about 615,000 people who've moved. So obviously they're taking their children out of school. You're getting families, even when they stay in the same place, who want the children to go out to work or to look after the animals or to go and find water, or they simply can't afford, you know, the low school fees that there are. So we've seen 40,000 children who've been forced to stop attending school. And we are worried that possibly another 110,000 more are at risk of dropping out of school. So this is one of the terrible effects of the drought. The increasing needs of people living in the Central African Republic, CAR, are not being matched by humanitarian funding, turning it into one of the world's most forgotten crises. That's the view of the World Food Programme, WFP, which said on Tuesday that it was receiving an ever-shrinking level of support from donors. An upkeep in violence last October forced tens of thousands to flee their homes in eastern and western regions. Humanitarian workers are working in increasingly dangerous conditions. WFP says it needs 12.5 million US dollars through to October to meet urgent needs. Here is UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric. Half of the country's people require humanitarian assistance and more than 2 million are hungry. WFP's response plan for 2017 is only 7% funded. Insufficient funding has forced the agency to cut food rations in half that are distributed to the most vulnerable Central African families. For many, it's the only thing they have to eat.
In other news, Pope Francis' Twitter message for Tuesday, the 2nd of May, was dedicated to social inclusion. It read, Let's work together to increase solidarity and sharing. Cooperation helps to build better and more peaceful societies. The tweet re-echoes the theme of the just-ended Pontifical Academy for Social Sciences Plenary, entitled Toward a Participatory Society, New Roads to Social and Cultural Integration. The Academy wrapped up its plenary assembly on Tuesday with a call for inclusion of the most marginalized in society. A message from Pope Francis provided the guidelines for the plenary, recalling the movements and the battles for the rights of workers in the past two centuries. The Pope pointed out that those battles are far from over and called for a new world vision that has the value of fraternity at its bases. Present at Tuesday's press conference in the Vatican was one of the participants of the plenary, Professor Paolo Zulu, who highlighted the fact that in Africa, one of the major causes for exclusion is to be found in political systems which prevent the people from accessing even the basic resources of life. In Africa, there is a crisis of representative democracy leading to major causes of social exclusion. Consequently, there are growing social inequalities and also consequently some of the responses to these is through migration where some of the excluded populations try to seek measures of existence, not only just inclusion, but existence outside of the continent or within the continent. So that's one of the manifestations which one would refer to as regional. Part of the solution or what communities deem as the possible mechanisms is through social movements which are trying to garner mechanisms towards social inclusion, particularly access, where inclusion leads to access to the basic resources of life. Crackdowns against journalists must end, said the UN Secretary General in a message to mark World Press Freedom Day this Wednesday, May 3rd. Antonio Guterres said that the free media needed leaders to help it counter prevailing misinformation in countries around the world. Matthew Wells reports from UN News. The International Day, marked each 3rd of May, celebrates the fundamental principles of press freedom and highlights those who've lost their lives for simply doing their job. The UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, is leading the worldwide celebration and organizing the main events this year in Jakarta, Indonesia. The UN chief said journalists went to the most dangerous places to give voice to the voiceless. Media workers suffer character assassination, sexual assault, detention, injuries and even death. We need leaders to defend the free media. This is crucial to counter prevailing misinformation and we need everyone to stand for our right to truth. On World Press Freedom Day, I call for an end to all crackdowns against journalists because a free press advances peace and justice for all. Mr Guterres said that when journalists are protected, their words and pictures have the power to change the world for the better. And finally, on a Fatima note, one day before the May 13th celebration marking the 100th anniversary of the Fatima apparition, a statue of Our Lady of Fatima will be visiting the United Nations at an event entitled The Centenary of Fatima and the Enduring Relevance of Its Message of Peace.
May 12 will mark the second time this particular statue has been to the United Nations, the first being in 1952. Speakers at the event will include Ambassador Alvaro Mendonça e Mora, permanent representative of Portugal to the UN, as well as Archbishop Benedito Auza, the Apostolic Nuncio and permanent observer of the Holy See to the UN. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic world and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Pirge and you are listening to Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Coming up next, we'll be talking about World Press Freedom Day. World Press Freedom Day was proclaimed by the UN General Assembly in December 1993, following the recommendations of UNESCO's General Conference. Since then, 3rd May, the anniversary of the Declaration of Vindug, is celebrated worldwide as World Press Freedom Day. It is an opportunity to celebrate the fundamental principles of press freedom, assess the state of press freedom throughout the world, defend the media from attacks on their independence and pay tribute to journalists who have lost their lives in the line of duty. I spoke to Anna Cox, the editor of Ed News, about World Press Freedom Day. Now, it's very important for journalists with a free voice to, to express their, their opinions, uh, to cover stories honestly and fairly, to give both sides of the story, to be able to criticize people in power if necessary. It is extremely important and uh, we feel very badly for people, other journalists in countries where they, they don't have such freedom of, of expression. When you talk of freedom of expression, having the freedom to do your work as a journalist and then you stumble across things such as fake news, which is very common nowadays. Well, look, one always has to be on the lookout for fake news, which, as you say, is becoming more and more common. So the very first thing that every journalist is taught to do is to check out um, the facts before they actually reprint or retweet or rewrite anything that's fake. We have to authenticate every story by finding the source of, of, of the article who wrote and check around to see if all the facts are correct. Because it's very important that we get our facts right and we don't suppress the fake news. Obviously in Catholic journalism we have to be moral and ethics. But I think in general um, there's not so much, I think most reputable media houses are, are morally and ethically um, up to standard. You do get the odd ones, but I wouldn't say it's a general thing in South Africa. In the Catholic media, obviously, as I say, we, we focus on more religious stuff. Uh, again, um, there could be a, a, bit of, a bit of church politics coming in, with people anti-certain anti things and people pro-certain things, but again, it's very important to double-check Every, every single source of the news we carry, especially in the Catholic community. How should journalists practice their freedom of expression without being biased, without choosing sides when it comes to talking about issues such as corruption, issues such as poverty, unemployment and so forth? Look, I think we are very, very lucky in this country to be able to openly criticize our governments, our government leaders. So we are very fortunate. Um, lots of countries in the world won't speak badly of their presidents. So we are very fortunate in this case to, to be able to have that freedom of speech. But again, there should be both sides to every story should be reflected, which I think generally are. Journalists are trained that uh, if you criticise Zuma, you've got to go back to Zuma or his spokesperson to get a comment about uh, what, what, what has been said. For instance, this morning I was at the State of the City of Joburg address, 
And uh, the mayor gave a long speech, and now I'm going to show the ANC. Uh, obviously, the job is now air control. Um, so now, as I sit at my desk, I'm going to show the ANC and ask him to comment on what they thought of the mayor's statement. So it's very important to always keep, uh, carry both sides of the story. How do you see women in journalism with regards to World Press Freedom Day? Women have been accepted into in journalism for a long time already. When I started at the start 25 years ago, um, there were already quite a number of, of female reporters and we were completely integrated into the journalism community. And in fact, I went out to many protests um, to even the, uh, pre-election violence. I was running around Alexandra with a bulletproof vest, so there was, we've not found any discrimination. And even more so in the Catholic media, we've always we've had quite a few um, uh, women, prominent uh, women journalists in the Catholic media. And that was Anna Cox, the editor of Ed News, talking to us about World Press Freedom Day. Although South African journalists enjoy freedom of speech, moral ethics and investigative journalism still needs to be addressed. Those were the words of Father Smangaliso from the Moral Regeneration Movement. What needs to be emphasized is also ethics in the media. And sometimes you, uh, certain forms of the media give you the impression that uh, all what they are really interested in is to maximize profits and to make sure that they make as uh, much money as they possibly can. Even, uh, even if sometimes they have to uh, handle the truth rather carelessly. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Oh, yes. As long as the story, you as know, long they as the story say, is there. <laughs> as long as the story is there, and that I think is very important. I remember as moral generation movement, we actually invited. We are still waiting for uh, for the um, what do you call this? Uh, an organization of um, journalists okay. to discuss to engage with them on the issue of the importance of uh, ethics. And ethics in a very broad sense of the uh, uh, of the word, and I am aware that uh, uh, when they are trained, journalists go through some form of legal training, in one form or the other, of ethics and so on. But in practice, that is not always uh, taken very seriously. And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pierce for Radio Veritas. Feel free to email me, Sheila at radioveritas.co.ca. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pierce.